honestly, after last week, there's nowhere to go but down. If you weren't here last week, I, I mentioned it at the beginning of the service. Uh, I had the privilege of preaching. Tyler prayed important words. Um, then he got courageous and invited adults who may not have been baptized or who were not baptized to see him. And if they wanted to get baptized, that we would work that out. And so between services, three people got baptized. And I'm telling you, that, that's the stuff you dream about in seminaries. I mean, if you're playing sandlot baseball and you dream of hitting a home run with bases loaded, I mean, that's the kind of stuff that you think, you know, one day I might preach and, be, you know, forget it. It's, it's all downhill from there now. Uh, like I said, last night I preached at St. Timothy's, our, our little church plant that's on the other side of the diocese, I mean, the other side of the interstate, and the heat was up too high and everybody fell asleep. I, my wife fell asleep. I mean, I was, I was staring at her, giving, come on, Sue. So that, you know, that's the Lord saying, okay, settle down, settle down, settle down. I wanna, I, I'm not going to preach on the gospel this morning. I want to preach on the passage from Corinthians. I, I think it has a deeply, I know it has a deeply, deeply important word for us, and I hope it, I hope it comes across. Paul ends that word or that reading this morning from Corinthians by saying, therefore, honor God with your body. And Paul's got two bodies in mind. He's got a little case B. In English, the little b, the small b, and the capital B. The small b body is the individual, me and you. We're great in this country and in this culture worrying about and talking about the individual and individual's rights. Paul's got that in mind, the small case b. He also has in mind, of equal importance, the capital B, the body of Christ. He uses that word body eight times in that passage. Eight times Paul brings up the point about a body. And the passage does specifically address sexual ethics, and it does specifically address food sacrifice to idols. I'd love to talk for hours about that, but I'm not going to. I'm going to make some notes about that, but that's specifically what Paul's talking about here for the church in Corinth. Um, what he wants them to understand, what Paul writes this letter to get these people to understand, is that everything, everything in their life needs to be filtered through the lens of cross and resurrection. Embedded in this reading, and I'll get to it in a second, are hints at and, and uh, pointers toward the cross and resurrection. Paul wants the people in the church of Corinth to know that because what's happened in Corinth, it's a hustling, bustling town. Think New York, Paris, London. Um, a lot is going on there, and since Paul started the church, what's happened is there's been some syncretism. That's a good seminary word, the culture is beginning to be blended into the church. And so pieces of the culture are beginning to work their way into the fabric of the church, and instead of the church having an effect on the culture, the opposite's happening in Corinth. The culture is beginning to affect the church. And Paul's heard about it, and he wants them to think about what they're doing. But he doesn't want to just admonish them. He wants to remind them of why they're doing it, the, the cross and resurrection. I believe there are two people in our lives right now who speak daily with those lenses in mind. Pope Francis and our Bishop Mark Lawrence are two examples of people that I can think of who constantly think about and speak through the cross and resurrection. Um, one of the things that makes them so noteworthy, I think, is that they have, it seems to me, this healthy dose of common sense. You listen to those men speak and you think, oh, exactly, he gets it. But then before they finish talking, inevitably they take you through the cross, or they mention the resurrection, the power of those two things working in the world, the cross and resurrection. So I want to look at verse 20 for a second and make my point about the cross so that you can see that it's in there. 
uh, verse 20 is the one that says, it's the last one. It says, you were bought with a price. You were bought with a price. Uh, this would have meant a lot to those people at Corinth because they understood what that meant to be bought with a price. If you were a slave in Corinth and you were going to buy your freedom, you would save your pennies and you would at one point have enough to buy your freedom. There was a value on your head and you would take it to the temple of your choice and you would hand it to the priest or priestess and you would be bought out of slavery and then you would then uh, pronounce your devotion to this particular temple. So that's what it meant to be bought with a price. But what Paul, of course, is saying about this price is the price that we were bought with is not money. The price, of course, is the cross. The, Christ, uh, the, the cross is the thing that Paul wants those believers in Corinth to remember. The price that was paid for them was greater than money. It was the cross. Verse 14 is the other lens. It's the resurrection lens. And what Paul wants people to know here is about God raising Jesus from the dead and that he will raise us also because that's where the power lies. It's the power that God gives to all believers. And Paul knows and he wants the people of Corinth to know that it's the only power there is to save. And so with that in mind, like I said last week, um, the Corinthians and us who have been baptized have been raised to this new life in Christ's resurrection. And like I said, they should be different. They shouldn't look like the culture. They shouldn't be eating food sacrificed to idols. Um, and they certainly shouldn't be participating in temple prostitution. So two lenses, the cross and resurrection. And they should make us different. And I think we all could agree, especially like I talked last week about the gentleman that I've become friends with who was baptized, his life seems to be different. He talks constantly about the effect that believing in Jesus has had on his life. And that's what Paul is trying to drive home to them. It's throughout the entire letter that Christ is at the center and that these controversies on food and sex should be looked at through the lenses of, like I said, cross and resurrection. Not the morals of the society, not the rules of Rome or the habits and practices of the culture, but again, the cross and the resurrection, a new set of values. So food, sex, friendship, money, everything in life, Paul is saying, represents something about our relationship to God. Have you ever thought about that? Um, most of us tend to think about God when we walk through the doors here and then maybe when we leave we hear a Christian song or something during the week reminds us or if we're really healthy we're doing a daily devotional that reminds us about God. But Paul wants us to remember that everything we do, everything we do represents something about our relationship to God because, this is one of the quotes from our staff meeting, God desires to be glorified through every part of our life, through our bodies, through our meals, and dare I say the entirety of our lives. God desires to be glorified. There's no part of our life um, that God is not trying to work in or through to bring about his plan of rescue and redemption for his creation. That's our mission statement at St. Timothy's, uh, working with God to bring about his plan of rescue and redemption for his creation. So the two specific practices that I'll just touch on briefly are this practice of eating food sacrificed to idols and this practice of participating in temple prostitution. There was this thought at the time that our bodies were bad, that these fleshly bodies were bad and they didn't matter. And so what you did with them, what you put in them and what you did with them externally had no effect on you in the afterlife. There was this Hellenistic belief called Gnosticism which was working its way into the church. And Gnosticism is the thought that the only thing that matters is wisdom or the mind. So we can't, you know, whatever we do with our, our external selves will have no bearing on eternity, have no bearing on eternity. Well, of course, Paul's going to get really, really worked up about that. 
And what he wants them to know is that, well, Jesus, when he reappeared after the resurrection, was in his body, right? We know that we've read that there were scars and that Jesus walked and Jesus ate. And so this Gnostic belief that our bodies don't matter, Jesus refutes the second he comes back in, in his bodily form. It's a mysterious bodily form. There are some people who don't recognize him, but his disciples instantly recognize him. So we will be resurrected with our bodies. These fleshly, small bee bodies are a gift from God, as we heard this morning. Um, so let me just say this again before I show a cute video. In Paul's theology, how we act or behave and what we do with our bodies affects more than just our bodies. It affects the capital B body, the bodies of people sitting here in this building, like Tom Black's death and burial and funeral yesterday affected so many of our lives. So many people were crying with Betty. Many of the people at St. Paul's will visit Betty and will hold her and will comfort her. That effect of Tom's passing is having an effect on the greater body. And Paul says sin has the same effect. We're connected, like Lisa and her daughter walking in this morning. We're connected whether we know it or not. And here's the most important message for Gary Beeson, whether I like it or not. Because I don't know if you've noticed, but there's some really weird Christians out there. <laughs> there's St. Timothy's, there's some here. I mean, there was a lot of them in seminary, and I'm like, ugh. Um, we don't get an out. We don't get an out. Whether we know it or not, or whether we like it or not, we are connected. We are connected. There's a video I want to show. It's about a minute and a half long. It's from the movie Big Fat Greek Wedding, one of our, one of our favorites at home. But it makes my point about whether we know it or not or whether we like it or not, we're connected. So, Carrie, can you roll that video? Rolling. Look at her face and look at the faces of her parents. Good, Carrie. Thank you. That movie makes a great point. Whether we know it or not or whether we like it or not, we are connected. And the mother in that movie gets a central point, and that is marry my daughter, marry the whole family. You don't just marry one person. Whether you like it or not, you marry the whole family. And that's the same way with Christianity. Whether we like it or not, accept Christ, accept his children. 
And uh, that's what Paul is trying to get them to understand. They can't do things in and out of their bodies with no care for what it does to the community. It's just a fact. It has an effect on the community. Now, I want to make one tough point, and then I'll give you the good news and end this. I read this passage in Corinthians for years, and I thought that the most tragic part about it was that if there has been sexual uh, misconduct or sexual immorality in a marriage, in a marriage, um, that the worst, the worst person offended was the spouse, the other spouse. And, and then, of course, using my, using my premise this morning, the family, of course, is affected. And um, that, that's kind of where it ended. I thought, well, that, you know, that's horrible. And sometimes irreparable. Sometimes marriages just can't be brought back together. And so um, in reading this week, listening to Paul's words, I was struck by something even deeper and more profound. Maybe most of y'all know this, but I had never thought about this before. What Paul is saying is, in this um, passage in Corinthians, is that sure, the spouse and the family in, in sexual immorality or adultery are damaged, and that is horrible, and that is sometimes irreparable. But the most serious problem now for the believer united to Christ, because that's what Paul says in there about our flesh being united to Christ, is that when we sin, and don't just hang on to adultery for a second and think, well, I've never done that, so I'm probably in the clear. Remember what Jesus says about adultery, anybody that thinks in their heart or lusts, right in the same group. Paul later says in Corinthians, there's a whole host of sins. It's not just adultery he's talking about. So whenever we sin, we're using adultery because it's in the passage this morning, the worst thing is not that the spouse is offended. The worst thing is that we drag Jesus with us. We've dragged Jesus into our sin. We're connected to him first in the flesh. It's what I preached about baptism. First Jesus, then others. So this sin has a horrible effect on our earthly family and our, our big B body. But worst of all, we've dragged Christ into it. We've dragged Christ into it. That stunned me. I, I could just think in my head and my mind things that I've done that I'm ashamed of and thought, oh my gosh. It was like I, I could just see Jesus. He's kicking and screaming probably. No, and I'm dragging him right in there. That's the worst thing Paul wants them to know about their sin. But that's also the good news. That's also the good news. Because the opposite is true. The opposite is true. We've all heard it that life is about who you know, right? Well, we know the king. We know Jesus. And more good news, the best news of all, he knows us better than we know ourselves. Uh, he knew us before we were born, Psalm 139 said this morning. Psalm 139 told us that he knew us before we were even in the womb. Um, he knows us in this world now, and he sees us. He accompanies us. He's with us. And here's the good news about that. He looks at us with his eyes, not ours. And so he doesn't just see who we are today. Jesus sees who we will be when this conversion process is ended. He sees the redeemed John Scott. He sees the redeemed Gary Beeson. He sees the redeemed version, the perfect, sinless version, washed by the blood. That's, that's how God sees us. We're not finished. It's that, I throw a little... Uh, homage to Mike Lumpkin out here. It's that Gert Bahanna quote that he loved to bring up about every second Sunday. I ain't what I want to be. I ain't what I'm going to be. I sure ain't what I ought to be, but thank God I ain't what I used to be. Right, right. So that bumper sticker, don't laugh, God's not finished with me yet, um, has some merit, I think. We need to remember that. We're not done. We're, we're in the process. We're in the process. Uh, but remember this in the process. You are not your own. I want to say that differently. Remember this in the process. We are not our own. We were bought with a price. And we need to be looking and focusing through the, 
the lens of cross and resurrection. Our bodies are received gifts that have a specific purpose, and they operate at maximum efficiency for you engineers when they're completely surrendered to the one who created them in everything we do. Not just at mealtime, not just on Sundays, but in everything we do glorifying God. So we need to relax our grip on this world. We need to relax our grip on this world so that we can feel the firm grip of the one, the only one who can save us. And remember this, church, we are connected to Christ and each other now and for eternity. Amen, and let's pray. Lord, I thank you for your Apostle Paul. I thank you for his courage uh, to stand up uh, for your truth. I thank you for the gentle reminder that we are connected, Lord, one first to you and then one to another, and that's a good thing, whether we know it or not or whether we like it or not. And I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.